As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible and open it up to Luke chapter 6, we begin a new series in in the book of Luke today called The Red Letters, where we look at some of the most famous teaching of our Lord. Uh, Show of hands, how many of you in the room own a smartphone, iPhone, some type of smartphone that allows you to connect to the internet and connect to other people, okay? Uh, Did you know that the first iPhone was announced on January 9th, 2007. So the iPhone or the smartphone is not even 10 years old yet. How many of you have a Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, some sort of social media account? How many of you in the room have have a social media account of some sort? Uh, Facebook was launched February 4th, 2004, and Twitter was launched on July 15th, 2006. So neither Facebook or Twitter are even teenagers yet. They are they are still kids in elementary school. How many of you now use the internet as your prime place to read about news, sports, entertainment? How how many of you use the internet as your prime place to read about news, sports, entertainment? Well, the Google search engine was launched on October, on August 19th, 2004. So it's not very old either. You say, well, well, what's your point? In the last decade, we have created a second world in which we live. And I think as centuries go by, people will look back on this time period in which we live as a very transformational time period within human history. Because of the second world that we have created, most of us now have the real, our real world And we have our online world, the real world that we live in where we talk to real people and we have our family and we have things that we have to do and go to right now in this service, presuming you're not surfing the internet, you're living in your real world. But then we also have an online world where we go into to search for information and to entertain ourselves and to connect with other people. Future millionaires within our society will be those who can figure out how do you overlap people's real world with their online world. And there are a lot of cool things about the online world. I'm I'm not against technology at all. I use it all the time. I love the way that in our online world we can have instant prayer requests. I see it within our church all the time. Someone shoots out a prayer request on social media and immediately, bam, people are saying, I'm praying for you, I'm here for you, we love you. That's a really cool thing. I love me some Amazon Prime. I mean, I, I love being able to shop without ever having to leave, leave my couch. Uh, Google Maps transformed driving for me. I'm directionally challenged. You put me in an unknown place, I can get lost. And in some of these big cities, you can get lost in the wrong place, you know. So I was always scared whenever I'd visit another city, but now I have Google Maps, I can get anywhere. And and all of us love having a birthday in the social media era because you get so many texts, you get Facebook, happy birthdays, and it really, it makes you feel loved. And so I want to say you can love Jesus and keep your iPhone, okay? You, You don't have to give up your iPhone in order to love Jesus. In fact, I think that the technology and awareness that we have today provides for us an unprecedented opportunity to share the gospel and share the love of Jesus. There are some places in this world where we can't send missionaries. They are not welcomed in that world, uh, and so it's very difficult to communicate the gospel and the love of God to these individuals, and yet because of online connectivity, 
we are able to take the gospel across the mountains, across the oceans, into places in the world that used to be pretty much off limits to the gospel. So I think we're going to see in the, in the decades to come, millions come to the Lord because of the connectivity that we have. But there's also a couple of things that we need to be careful about. Number one, it is easy for us to miss the blessings of the real world because we're always wanting something from the online world. See, one of the things that the online world does is it raises our awareness, and it's easy for it to lure us into covetousness. There will always be someone out there richer than you. There'll always be someone out there better looking than you. I know, Michael, hard to believe, but it's true. There'll always be someone out there better looking than you, smarter than you. There'll always be people that have better behaved kids, that take better Facebook photos than you. There'll always be better tasting food than what you can cook. But here's one of the things that we need to realize. If you are a believer in Christ, there is nobody on the planet that is more blessed than you. Because in Christ, you have forgiveness. All the junk of your past, all the guilt of your past, you have forgiveness for that in Christ so that you live in grace. You have purpose within your presence that transcends circumstances and you have hope for your future that goes beyond wishful thinking, but a hope that is truly attached to eternity. You're a blessed person in Christ. So make sure that in the ever-expanding world that we're in that you don't miss the blessings that you have in Christ. Secondly, there's a danger that you will become a human doing instead of a human being. Try people watching sometimes. Anytime there's a lull in the action, standing in the grocery store line, uh, you're in a meeting and things kind of get a little bit slow. The sermon kind of lags on a little bit. Okay. Uh, anytime there's a lull, people immediately start pulling out their phones and start doing this. They don't even, you don't even realize you're doing it, but you said you, you have to be. We live in a society now where we have to be doing something at all times. And if we're not doing something, if you ever just experience quiet, you're like, this feels weird. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what to do my, with myself. Maybe I should pull out my phone because we need to be doing something all the time. Now, a full soul requires that you learn to stop. Having a spirit that is alive and connected to the Heavenly Father requires that you carve out and you purposely have calm in your being so that you can hear the still, small voice of God. So that you notice where it is that God is at work. I talk to people a lot in my world. And one of the things that I'm experiencing over and over again is that people are absolutely exhausted. We have all this stuff in our life that is supposed to make our life easier. And yet it seems like people are more exhausted and have less time than ever before. And not only are we physically exhausted but many of us are spiritually empty. And so sometimes we just need to unplug a little bit from the world around us and plug into God. Luke chapter 6 and verse 17. 
The Bible says, after coming down with them, he stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples and a great number of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. Now, Jesus had reached a point in his ministry here where he is at celebrity status. He was now a person that had a million followers on Twitter. And everywhere that he went, he would draw a crowd. Everywhere he went, he had an entourage. People would follow him, want to hear from him. And verse 18 gives us three reasons why people were wanting to get close to Jesus. Number one, they wanted to hear what he was teaching. Jesus taught with an authority. Jesus taught with a uniqueness that they had never heard before. He spoke to the deepest needs of humankind, and people wanted to hear what it is that Jesus had to say. Number two, they were coming to him for physical healing. They had ailments. They had problems, and they they were hoping that in Jesus they would be healed of their diseases. And number three, they were coming to him for spiritual healing. Many of them had a lot of darkness in their lives, and they had become tormented by unclean or evil spirits, and instead of walking towards light, they were walking towards darkness, and so they were coming to Jesus in order to be set free from the evil spirits that had held them in bondage. When we get to verse 19, things are kind of getting a little bit crazy. Everybody is gathering around Jesus, and they're trying to touch him because they wanted Jesus to heal them. And the Bible says that power is literally coming out of Jesus and people are being healed. And so there's this incredible scene taking place. Now, within Jesus' ministry, particularly early on, this tension begins to develop. Because as you read the story of Jesus, you you see the miracles of Jesus. He, He heals people, he walks on water, he feeds the masses. And so he meets a lot of physical needs for people. And these miracles that Jesus did had a reason behind them, a spiritual reason behind them. John calls them signs because the miracles were intended to show people that Jesus is the Son of God. And so he was doing these miracles with a spiritual purpose in mind, but the crowds began to follow him in hopes of health and wealth. They weren't really following him for the content of his message and for the person that he was. They were following him for what, they, what he could do for them. And so Jesus wants us to know that the greatest blessing that Jesus brings to us is that he gives people a new heart and he gives this gift to us by giving us himself. And what he gives us is much more than health and wealth. He gives us spiritual life. And so in verse 20, after the crowds have pressed in on him, after the crowds have wanted something from him, they wanted him to do something for them, he looks up at his disciples and he says these words to them. You who are poor are blessed because the kingdom of God is yours. You who are now hungry are blessed because you will be full. In other words, he looks at his disciples and he says, you may not have much money. You may not have a great deal of food, but you can still be a blessed person. Because the greatest blessings in life are not found in what you have or what you do or what you eat. The greatest blessings are found in who you are, particularly 
who you are in Christ. So Jesus says to his disciples, you can be poor here on earth and still be blessed. Now that went against the flow of everything they'd ever taught, been taught. In fact, that goes against the flow of a lot of our culture as well. That you can be poor and you can be hungry and you can still be extravagantly blessed. How? Because as a child of God, you are an heir to the kingdom of God. God has given you something much more than money. He has given you himself. And as a child of God, you stand in grace and you have a relationship with the God of the universe. And Jesus promises those of us who are hungry will be filled. Now, as I was reading these verses, it probably brought to mind to you some familiar passages of Scripture. Because this is Luke's version of the Beatitudes. Probably your grandma has the Beatitudes somewhere in the house, right? On, a, on the wall somewhere. The Beatitudes. And so you probably triggered in your mind Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus says some very similar words. And there Jesus promised that those of us who hunger for righteousness will be filled. At noon today, a unique phenomenon will occur here at the church. There will be a mass exit of the building. And then you will get in your car, in our fancy parking lot, you'll get in your car, and there will be a common question that everybody asks. What's for lunch? And then there'll be this common conversation take place. I don't know. What do you want? I don't know. What sounds good to you? Well, nothing really sounds good to me. Well, how about you? I don't know. Should we cook at home or should we go out? I don't know. Let's just go do something. Well, anything but Italian and home cooking is good with me. Okay, well, let's go find something. Uh, just a little jaunt here. I don't, I don't get this. Someone has to explain to me this. I don't understand why we go out to eat to get home cooking. That doesn't make sense to my lash world here. I never have figured that one quite out is why you go out to eat to get home cooking. You know, just cook it at home. But anyway, that conversation will take place. Why? Because we're human beings. And as human beings, we get hungry. And whenever we get hungry, we don't, we don't, we don't really stop and think, well, I'm, I'm, we just need to eat. We, we know that we need food in order to fill us. Well, when you have Christ in your heart... Jesus says you will have a hunger for righteousness. You will have a truth, a hunger for the truth of God's Word. And whenever you have that hunger within you, Jesus says, I promise you, you will never be left hungry. I will fill you with my Word, with my presence, with my grace, with my love. At the end of verse 21, Jesus says, you who now weep are blessed because you will laugh. A few weeks ago, I did something that I've never done before. I preached a full message on God and healing. I went back and I, I looked over my ministry life, and I'd never preached an entire message on God and healing. If you didn't get to hear the entire message, you can go online to murphychurch.com, hit the podcast. The message is entitled, The Greater Healing. In that message, we came to five conclusions about God and healing. The first is that when God supernaturally intervenes into the physical world to heal someone, there is a spiritual reality behind it. And so I mentioned that if God heals somebody, you better pay attention because it means God's up to something. 
There's a reason behind the physical healing. Secondly, we talked about how physical healings are temporary. When God heals somebody's physical body, they still get sick again. They eventually die here in this earthly realm. I had a friend, Jim Claunch, who when I was a little boy, uh, he was healed of leukemia. It went into remission in a miraculous way. All we could say is give glory to God because he healed my friend Jim. But 25 years went by. Jim was able to raise his kids. He was able to meet his grandchildren. And then Jim got sick again, and he is now with God in heaven. Physical healings are temporary. But thirdly, there is a spiritual healing, which is eternal. When God heals us and our sins are forgiven, that does not just last for a few decades or a few months. That lasts forever. Fourth, God does not always extend the physical healing. We can pray for healing. And anytime somebody asks me to pray for a health need, one of the things that I do is I pray that God might touch their body and heal them. Sometimes God says yes. Sometimes He says not now. And sometimes God says no. And there's been many people that I have prayed for that I asked God to heal their body and and they didn't get better. And I realize that when that happens, it can sometimes leave us with questions and sometimes even with anger. But five, God is always, always willing to extend spiritual healing to anyone who believes in Jesus Christ. So though we don't always experience the temporary physical healing, when we come to God and when we place our faith in Christ, we always experience the spiritual healing that comes through the cross of Christ. Now, there are some here today who weep because somebody that you love has died. And it's okay to grieve. Grieving is part of being human. It's part of loving. And so when someone dies, we miss them and we weep. Some here today weep because of a disease or an injury that has limited your ability to live life or limited someone that you love's ability to live life. I know that well. I have a sister who for several years now has been battling a a terrible disease within her body, and I've seen how it has limited her ability to live life. And so I grieve over what she's lost and what I've lost as her brother. I, I understand that. As a believer, we know that death and pain are only temporary. Because we have faith in God and we have faith in heaven. And so Jesus tells us that those who weep can laugh. We can laugh with joy because we know that there is a greater healing that is offered by our Lord. A few days ago, I stood right here and officiated a memorial service for Fred Turner. Fred usually attended the 11 o'clock service. He passed away quite suddenly. I liked Fred. He was a good guy. Last conversation I had with him was before things really turned south, and we were, we were laughing. One of the things Fred always did was he laughed. He enjoyed life. He had a lot of fun. And when he laughed, he, he didn't really laugh out loud, ha, ha, ha. He just kind of went, ha, 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 like that. And I just remember the last conversation I had with him there at his hospital bed. We were trying to crack him up, and he would, and I miss him already. I, I, and those that loved him dearly, they grieve. 
They're going through a season of grief, and we as a church are trying to support them during this season. But we can also smile whenever we think of Brad. Why? Because, number one, we're thankful for him. We're thankful of how he touched our lives. And number two, we know that we're going to see him again. We believe that heaven is a real place, that Jesus offers us spiritual life that lasts for all eternity, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? And so we know we'll see him again, and that gives us hope, and it gives us laughter, and it gives us joy. So Jesus says those of us who weep are blessed, and we can laugh because we know that our life is anchored with eternity. He goes on to say, you are blessed when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. One of the ironies of our online hyper-awareness world is that the more connected we are to one another, the more disconnected we become from one another. There was kind of this utopian idea that if we could just connect everybody to one another and everybody could know everything there is to know about each other, that it would kind of eliminate all of our differences and we would kind of just hold hands and all sing Kumbaya. It was, a, it was a noble idea, continues to be a noble idea, but the reality is, sociologically, if you look at our society, it's dividing and segregating more and more into tribes. And those tribes could be based around your political views. They could be what sports team you cheer for. And you start kind of building a wall around your life that these are the people that I will let in, those that are in my tribe. Sometimes uh, we find ourselves in tribes based on hobbies. Maybe you like uh, running or you like uh, kayaking or something like that, and you kind of start building a, a tribe on that hobby. And then our religious beliefs also form tribes. So we find people that think similarly to us religiously, uh, and so we form a, a little tribe. And we tend to now exclude, insult, and slander anyone who's not in our tribe. There's, there's this, this, this demonizing of those people that are not like us uh, both on noble sides and evil sides, where we just try to demonize people that, that are not us. And so for Christians, we're now facing a new reality within our society. I realize persecution has been with us since Jesus' day and even, even before that, uh, but particularly those of us who grew up in the South and live in the southern United States, uh, being persecuted or not liked because of our faith in Jesus Christ, that's kind of a new deal for us. But there are a lot of people that will not like you. They will exclude you. They will insult you. They will slander you as a person and slander your intelligence for no other reason except for the fact that you're a Christian, that you follow Jesus. They won't like you. I, I experience this new reality as a pastor uh, in that whenever I go places and tell them that I'm a pastor, I, I meet one of two reactions. Sometimes I meet this real warm, oh, great, we love, we, we love pastors. We're so glad you're... Some folks, are like, they automatically get cold as soon as they hear that I'm a pastor. I used to not experience that 10, 15 years ago in the South. So it's a, it's a new reaction, a new, new reality for us. Now, how are we going to respond to this? Well, there's several ways to respond. Number one, we can blame ourselves. We can say, oh, the reasons why they don't like Christians is just because we're not likable. Jesus isn't likable. 
And so we just need to become a little bit more likable. I've got to figure out some ways to be more likable. You know, maybe Lash is too polarizing of a name. Maybe I should just, like, change my name to Paul, and then people will like me. Uh, maybe, you know, I've been thinking about ways for me to become more likable. Maybe I just need to get me a, a bunch of tattoos, uh, maybe grow my hair long. The only problem, if I grow my hair long, it doesn't grow long. It just goes poofy. And, and that's not a good look for a preacher either, you know, just to have that little televangelist hair. So, so that's why I keep my hair short. Maybe, maybe I ought to just drink more coffee because everybody knows coffee is really cool, okay? And every time I drink coffee, I'll post it on social media so everybody can see that I'm drinking coffee because when they see that I'm drinking coffee and talking this fast, they'll love Jesus more because I'm cool, okay? Maybe I should just get me some skinny jeans. Okay, I won't. But if I can be cool enough, if I can just be more likable, then people will say, man, you are so cool. You are so likable. I just love Jesus now. It doesn't work. Okay, you can be as cool as you want to be, but that doesn't just cause the masses to say, hey, I want to be you and I want, I want to love Jesus. So that's not really a, a great reaction to just blame ourselves and say, hey, the problem is that we're just not likable. Maybe we should just change the Christian faith. What we can do is we can take away the hard truths of the Bible so that there's really no contrast between the teachings in Scripture and the popular opinion of the day. In fact, if the popular opinion of the day changes, then we'll just, we'll just kind of make Scripture real fluid and we'll change whatever Scripture says. If it says something really clearly, we'll just talk about Greek and Hebrew and say it doesn't really mean that. And we'll change it so that it matches the, the popular opinion of the day. And we'll make Jesus, instead of being a suffering Savior and Lord of all, we'll just make him a great teacher and a good example who we should all follow after. And he's just one of many teachers, and, and he just happens to be the avenue that we follow. That doesn't work either. You don't need to change the faith in order to accommodate the opinion. The faith is grounded in sacred truth that has lasted for centuries truth that comes from God. And part of the draw of the cross is that it provides a contrast from the world in which we live. So that's not going to work to just change everything that we believe and modify truth. I mean, is it really truth if you modify truth all the time? Well, I get a third reaction. We could get angry. All right, you don't like me because I'm a follower of Christ? Well, I'm just going to yell back at you, and I'm going to exclude you, and I'm going to insult you, and I'm going to slander you I'm going to post things about you and try to tear your reputation down because you don't like me. That could be a third reaction. Or there's a fourth reaction, and that's the reaction that Jesus gives us here. In verse 23, he says, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note. In other words, write this down. Your reward is great in heaven. This is the way that their ancestors used to treat the prophets. When's the last time that you leapt for joy? When's the last time that something made you so excited that you just leapt for joy? It may have been sports. You know, you're an Aggie fan. I think I was going to sleep when it was happening, but I think the Aggie threw like an 80-yard touchdown last night. 
You know, got a few Aggie fans. Yeah, see, he's leaping for joy right there. Just like came out of him, you know. And he's leaping for joy. Uh, You do that in sports world, or maybe you did it whenever your child had some great accomplishment, and you're at the track meet, and your child's running the 200-meter dash, and you're like, go, 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 and you're leaping for joy. I doubt seriously that anybody in this room has leapt for joy because you were insulted for your faith in Jesus Christ. So we're going to do that right now, okay? Now, we don't have to get weird or anything, but okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say uh, that I'm going to tell you that people insult you, well, people, people don't like you because you have faith in Christ, and you're going to leap for joy, okay? You can say, yeah, whatever you want to do, all right? Now, we ready? Okay, wake up your husband, this, you know, for, for, we don't want to send anybody into cardiac arrest, okay? <laughs> okay, here, here we go, all right? People will not like you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that kind of feels weird, doesn't it? You know, the the leap for joy because somebody's not going to like me because of my faith in Jesus Christ. But that's what Jesus told us to do. He said, leap for joy and be excited when people don't like you because you follow him. Why? Amy, I like it. You got got on your feet, sister. Way to go. You know, why? Because you're in good company. Think about Elijah. He had to run for his life because he was threatened by Jezebel. Jeremiah persecuted so much that they called him the weeping prophet. Daniel thrown into the lion's den because he would not bow down to the politics of his day. Zechariah stoned to death. John the Baptist beheaded because of his faith in God, his fellowship of God. You realize this. You have to download this. You have to embrace this. Some people will not like you because you love Jesus. And Jesus says rejoice and leap for joy. Because you're in good company. And take note of this. Your reward is in heaven. Following Jesus may not make you rich. Following Jesus may not fill your hunger needs. Following Jesus uh, will, will likely not make you extraordinarily popular. But we as Christians continue to leap for joy because we know that our life extends beyond the physical realm. We have spiritual life and we have life eternal with God in heaven. As Christians, we, we occupy a unique place within the social, social order. Our faith is anchored in sacred truth. For centuries, millions of people have lived their lives. They have loved their families. They have cared for this world, being guided by the truths of Scripture and the Holy Spirit of God. We understand that the hundred-year window of earthly life is not the tense of past, present, and future. Our lives here are but a vapor. Our future is with Christ in eternity, and we are citizens of the heavenly realm with Christ in glory. And because of that, even though circumstances can grow dark, even though things can be difficult, even though we might not have much, we can still be very, very blessed people because we have a joy and we have a purpose and we have have a laughter that nobody or nothing can steal from us. In verse 24, Jesus says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. What is he saying? He's saying those of you who are simply living life for today, there is danger coming. Those of you who don't understand what it means to be alive in Christ, to be alive spiritually, everything that you have is merely temporary. So there's Jesus. 
He's drawing huge crowds. People are grabbing at him. Miracles are taking place. The sick are being healed. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he wants to make one thing perfectly clear. And that is that his mission is much more than being popular. His mission is much more than making people rich and healing disease. His popularity was temporary because his mission was eternal. For you and me to have eternal life, we needed a Savior. We needed a Savior to live a life that we could not live. We needed a Savior to die in our place on the cross and make atonement for our sins, to absorb the wrath of God into Himself. We needed a Savior who was so powerful and so pure that He overcame death. And He calls us to believe in Him. And whenever we believe in Him, we do not perish, but we have everlasting life and we have deep, deep spiritual blessing. The greatest blessing that you and I can ever receive is the blessing of salvation. And whenever you understand what it means to have Christ as Savior, nothing else here on earth compares. So if you are a believer in Christ, I want to remind you of something today. You are free. You are free to be, to be alive in Christ, to be blessed, to be content. You're free to be different. You're free to be happy. You're free. To live your life on purpose, you're free to live your life anchored to something that goes beyond the grave. Because God has given you the blessing of a freed soul. So don't get so busy being a human doing that you forget to be a human being and experience what it means to be deeply blessed by the extravagant love, grace, and gifts of your heavenly Father. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? There may be somebody here this morning that there's never been that time in your life where you've bowed before the cross and you've embraced Jesus as Savior and Lord. I want to invite you to make this time right here in this worship service your moment where spiritually you open your heart to Christ Call out to God and say, God, I am a sinner and I ask forgiveness for my past. I ask forgiveness for my sins. I place my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior, believing that He died for me, believing that He and He alone is the one that can bring me to You, God. And so I trust in Christ. And I ask You to change me from the inside out. And through Your power, I seek to follow you the rest of my days. I want to be this deeply blessed person. I want to be this person that has a satisfaction and a feeling that goes to my soul. And so I call out to you to God today for salvation. Today is your day of salvation. I want to be a pastor to you and an encouragement to you. You can come see me during this next song. I'll be here after the service as well. I'd love to help you any way that I can. Heavenly Father, I pray for those that are in this room that come in here today tired. We've been doing things all week and we're exhausted. Father, maybe sometimes we look around at what everybody else has and we think that we're lacking. Lord, I thank you that today your word has reminded us that we are filled. Your word has reminded us that we are deeply blessed that we are alive spiritually, and Father, help us not to get so consumed with things that no one will care about 
20 years from now. Things that will be here for a moment and then fade away. Help us, Lord, not to think that that's life. Help us, Lord, to understand that life goes much deeper than the physical realm, that it's spiritual and that we are alive and blessed in Christ, not just for a season of happiness, but we are blessed for all eternity. So may we live with a joy that's contagious. May we live with a smile that comes from you, that draws people to the cross. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. And we thank you, Lord, for what you have poured into our hearts. May it satisfy May it define, may it free us to know you more and to sing of your glorious praise.